Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friend. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to the sobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Before we jump into things today, I wanted to take a moment to thank Exact Nature for partnering with me on today's episode. Founded by a father and son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specifically formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, be it addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, or improving sleep. Learn more at exactnature.com. As a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive 20% off of your order. ExactNature.com Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. Today we are chatting with a fellow podcaster and author and survivor, as we will hear shortly, Eric and I connected through Instagram and really had a connection about how we were reaching our audience and what our, really our message and our core values were. So we connected fairly quickly through one of his live videos and the rest is history. We are trading interviews. I will be on his podcast next week. So make sure you check that out. But without any further ado, let's open the diary on Eric Rias. Eric Rias, thank you so much for making time for the Sobriety Diaries today, my friend. Such good energy coming from you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to hearing your story and seeing what we relate to on, on a recovery and sobriety level. So let's start by walking through your story together. So I'm a Queens, New York native. Um, and uh, born in Staten Island, um, two great parents, older brother, younger sister. Um, but you know, it, not until I got sober did I realize that I realized that I was uh, I was molested at around eight and groomed from eight to about uh, twelve. Um, so that so there was a feeling of discomfort that I felt that I didn't I couldn't acknowledge and put my finger on until I was an adult. Mm. Um, but I just, I'm right working on my book right now and kind of going back through my life and just recall just being, it was like, I was on fire, you know, it was like I, I, the, the phrase that I use, like my skin didn't fit. Mm. It's like my skin didn't fit. It was like the sleeves were too long and the shoulders were too tight and the answer is just, and it seemed like everybody's, everybody's suit, suit was working and like fitting well. And mine just, I was so uncomfortable. And then I went to school in a white neighborhood and I was the only, you know, I can count the amount of black people in, in my school on my hands, you know, one hand. And uh, so there was, that led to like the feeling of discomfort as well. And some people had the experience of being like one 
out of many and feel very special. But I think my sexual trauma um, ingrained shame in me. And I'm, and even to this day, embarrassment, shame, and, and uh, rejection are highly triggering to me. Um, so that was childhood. I started, um, you know, drinking and using around 12 or 13. Um, you know, I wasn't, I've always, you know, the black kids said I spoke white and then I would never be white, you know? So I was in this like racial ambiguity, you know, of like not having a place. And there was these skater kids who were like middle cap. We're all middle class. My parents are doctors and successful people. It's not like I come from a crack house. So I hung out with, (laughs) I hung out with like, kids who had middle-class parents we skateboarded and smoked weed and drank 40s yeah um and you know just talking to a friend of mine a friend of mine and he um he knew i asked him on instagram live if he knew anything different noticed anything different about me and he said we just knew you drank differently than us um and looking back i just drank differently than my friends could stop and i could not um as soon as i started it was i wanted to be drunk every day I wanted to, I just wanted to feel, I wanted the ease and comfort brought on by alcohol. Um, and finally my skin fit, finally I can speak to girls. Finally, I just, everything seemed okay. You know, everything seemed okay at the time. Sorry about that. And uh, um, so, so it progressed as it does. And as I'm sure as many stories you hear on here, yeah. it, it progresses. And for me, um, I, I'm a mental health and sober advocate. So um, mental health is a big piece, even more so there's a lot of people like yourself doing work in the sober space. There's not a lot of black men speaking up in the mental health space. And I'm very vocal about that because um, I'm a dual, di- I'm dual diagnosis. Um, and as my mental health started to deteriorate, my drug use started to increase. Um, and the, um, the, uh, extent of the substances I was taking was getting more and more volatile. So it was cocaine. It was, it was fun times, right? It was New York city. Yeah. It was party life. It was not New York city nightlife. It was very hip hop culture as well. It's just a huge part of this and riding around. And yeah. It was I mean, just it very, sounds fun. Right. But then we sort of yeah. take it to the next level. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It just went to a different place and, yeah. and um, it was, it was a lot of insanity. Um, so I think, and for me, I, and this is all very easy to speak about right now because I'm working on this book. Um, but for me, there was lack of power was my problem. And I felt very powerless because I was made fun of for my race by the gang, the gang of white kids I hung out with. And then I had this sexual shame and trauma. And then I had questions of my sexuality as a teen that led up and well into my 20s with questions of my sexuality and discomfort there. Um, so I finally found out I could fight. And found that I can, I, I knew how to fight and uh, I was angry, uh, especially when I would get drunk. I would, I was the first one to start a fight. So for me, fighting and violence goes hand in hand with my substance abuse. Yeah. Um, and then the mental, the mental health component, my impulsivity was there. So um, there was multiple layers of the destruction of my addiction. It wasn't just um, I was using and risking my health. It was like I was using and harming people and and, uh, you know, fully embracing that lifestyle, selling drugs, doing drugs. Um, and it progressed until about 19 and the op- opiate epidemic finally hit Queens and people started dying. And, uh, you know, Oxycontin and 
in all of its various forms and milligrams became my drug of choice. Um, and I talked about like, as I've been speaking about um, finding some peace, finding some quiet, my, my mind finally quieted down, you know, um, my breathing finally slowed down and, and with, with using uh, opiates and, um, and it progressed from there. And it went to, it went to a heroin addiction. And uh, I did heroin from about 20 years old, 21 years old to 23. And I got sober at 23. Um, and I'm 31 now. So been on this journey for a little bit of time. Um, do you want me to talk? Do you want me to speak about what recoveries look like? I love, I love to talk about what recovery looks like. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a, a saying as a coach, cause I've been in personal development. I consider, um, 12 step personal development. I'm a 12 step guy. Yeah. Um, being in my industry, I do understand 12 step is not the only way to be sober and it's not the it's so, sobriety doesn't look the same for everyone. So I, especially now, the older I get and the more, um, the more open-minded I become, um, I understand sobriety looks different and recovery looks different for so many people. Right. So I'm not like strict on the 12 step, but what 12 step taught me was it was indicated steps to take. And, and that was personal development. And that's, and fitness was the same thing. Eat right every day, work out every day and your life changes. 12 steps, do the 12 steps, next, next step and your life changes. Um, so true. And then, and it's, and that's how everything in life is. That's how it is in business, how it is in podcasting. It just translates everywhere. Right. Um, and that's, yeah, um, I followed that path and it wasn't linear though. The healing was not a linear process. There was a lot of hard times, especially being young and I was a wild animal. I was like right off the street when I got yeah. sober. It took me four years to get my shit together, you know, like to really like get my head. I was so, I call it smoked out the game. I was just like years of ecstasy, years yeah, of cocaine. Right? And then like- You stopped doing the drugs, but you're left in this place. How do I interact with people? And how do I yeah. present myself as like not a crazy person now to society, right? Exactly, exactly. And then the mental health piece, I realized I was like, oh, so I actually am mentally ill. I, yeah. I, yeah. and I try not to identify in that space anymore because I'm, it's, I'm a different, you know, I'm a different person. And it's sure. just like, you know, I try not to identify with maladies anymore. Um, you know, the mental health piece became a, became a component and, uh, that's where like recovery really, that's where the recovery really was for me was with the mental health. Um, but then I, I earnestly did the 12 steps around four and a half years sober and had a spiritual experience as many people talk about yeah. and became God conscious. And now I'm on this spiritual path that I've been living for the past, like, was it, you know, almost four years. Um, and, uh, my life is, is a purposeful life today. It's just, it's pretty cool. The stuff I get to do, you know, I raised my son, had my yeah. son in sobriety. He's never seen me loaded. Nice. Um, how old is he? He's four. So he was born when I was 27 um so he's in like so, kind of like that fun age right where they say anything and they're like funny it's getting fun yeah it's getting fun like yeah. we we just took a trip to new york just he and i to see my parents and it wasn't a nightmare <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah. and, like from newborn to like four it's a nightmare to fly and he's like yeah. out of the nightmare stage he was able to like chill on a six-hour flight and like cool. hang out you know yeah so yeah yeah so I want to touch on a few things, and I think that, you know, these are things that our listeners can benefit from, and perhaps some things that people 
still might be associating shame with. And if we can try to remove stigma from that, I think that that is, you know, part of what I try to do. So starting with your, your sexual trauma, you, you had said that you didn't even realize that it happened. So was that part of just blocking it out? Did you realize it through therapy? How did it uh, re-enter your life? When I was 25, because I always, I first, First thing, I don't remember most of my childhood. Okay. Working on my book right now, my book comes out um, in the beginning of next, in the first quarter of next year. Um, and looking back at my life, it's just, I just huge chunks of my childhood that I don't remember. And then interviewing my family members for my book, childhood was so joyous for them. And it just was not for me. It just, I just didn't feel well the entire, my, I had very few happy memories as a child, yeah. even though. But that's not the story. That's not the story, but that was my reality. Um, but so I knew I didn't remember a lot from my childhood, but I knew, and I remember this, this guy sending me porn and teaching me how to masturbate. Mm. And I just didn't think anything of it. I just thought, you know, like yeah. I just didn't yeah. think anything of it. And then I, I uh, struggled with sex addiction in my, in my, in my um, recovery, in my, sobriety yeah yeah um i was a hardcore sex addict and started to look back at that stuff and like my just my sex conduct and my sex life in experience with sex like when looking at the first time i watched porn ever when was the first time i saw porn when was the first time i interacted with anything sexually at all and around 25 it came up and i said to an ex-girlfriend i was like first of all i was like i have questions about my sexuality i told her um, and I've never been attracted to men in my entire, I've liked girls since I was a little boy, but this guy told me in my ear, he said, um, he said, you're gay. You just don't know it yet. You know? Um, and I told my, um, you know, my girlfriend at the time when I was 25, that I, I had questions and that's when this thing like bubbled up. Got it. Um, and I was like, and I've kind of acknowledged that it was there and only more recently have I been really open about it. Cause I work with a sex addiction therapist really and now i'm really in sex addiction recovery i'm very cognizant of my sexual conduct and and um my sexual ideals and what i what i want as an adult man you know um but it only came up until i was until i was later in life and i actually examined my sexual conduct you Mm -hmm. know i see much more prevalence with sex addiction now and people are willing to talk about it more now and i think it's great so i appreciate your willingness to talk about it today yeah so how did your sobriety, how did it turn into this advocacy and this coaching that you are uh, currently doing? It took a very natural progression and um, I do the work out of science, right? And, and that's, that's kind of the direction it's taken me, you know, um, it's just next indicated step kind of thing. So it went from, um, you know, uh, 12 step. Um, to then being a personal trainer. And I just knew I loved fitness and knew I wanted to help people. But I, I've always had a knack for connecting with clients and they just love to speak to me. They just love to speak to me and share with me. And I'm, I'm pretty flowy in both masculine and feminine, which is such an, such an uh, um, asset now is yeah. being able to function within both. So connecting with the women I would work with, they just loved having conversations. Um, so I didn't realize that until now coaching now that I've, I've been doing this for years, but it was, per, it was fitness that I went through many phases of a, as a fitness coach, sports, nutrition license, you know, joint mobility and just became an 
an expert and tried, you know, tried yeah. to become an expert in my field. Um, and then that shifted into like health and wellness coaching because now I had this well-rounded approach to fitness. Um, and with health and wellness coaching, there's a lot more speaking. It's less of the doing of personal training and now of the coaching through the journey of health and wellness. So I started like walking alongside people through their health and wellness journey. Um, and then it went into like, what's, what am I seeing as blocking people with their health and wellness is their mindset. So then I started mindset, started shifting people's perspective yeah. um, and really focusing on mindset and became like, that became a, a focus and it, it's kind of naturally progressed. And then it went to life coaching and it just became like a general <laughs> yeah. life coach. And I was just helping people with their life. And then um, I got into sober work, got contracted with some sober service companies and uh, realized like I can function so well in this space. Like I've, my first job was with an unmedicated schizophrenic young man. Um, and I had lived with him. I, I, I got to live with him and see how, okay, what is it like to be in this space? And I was like, well, I'm grounded. I'm grounded. I can like, I almost had a plexiglass around me where I was unable, where I was unable to, I didn't take it on. And I was like, okay, this is, this, this work is it for me. And then, and, and it just felt very purposeful. And I was already, I already live a recovery life, you know, yeah. everything I do is around that. It's just my entire life is that. So it was like, might as well work in the industry. Um, but then the podcast started and I started really speaking up about mental health. Um, and I've always spoken up about recovery, about sobriety and, um, but the, but speaking up about mental health became really a priority, especially as a black man. I don't think of myself differently, but I understand that um, black men need to speak. People, minorities in general, any oppressed group, we yes. need to speak openly about our about what we're experiencing to to say, hey, we're here and we're living life and we're experiencing life. So that's where the advocacy came from. It was just like. I am a proponent of healing. I am a I am outspoken about the struggles. These struggles are real. When you hear people, you know, expressing their difficulty with mental health, their experience is real. So that's kind of where my life's purpose is. Is really even more so than the coaching, more so than anything else. It's just being a voice for people who, men and women, who are unheard, who are unheard in regards to their mental health experience. And there's sobriety, but there's so many of us speaking about sobriety, yeah. but there's not, but the mental health piece, right. people need to see people recover, you know? Yeah. Do you see a motivational speaking or public speaking format in your future? Yeah, I already do. Yeah. I already do. It's, it's, yeah, there's a very, I was interviewing my cousin for this, for, <laughs> for this book. He's like, this is your life is divinity, you know, right. because the podcast and then the speaking and already speaking. Um, and speaking at meetings taught me how to just same. be honest in front oh, of anybody. Absolutely. Same. You know? 100%. Yeah. Speaking at meetings before I, I would be terrified to say anything yeah. in front of everyone. And, but yeah, I totally see that like in your persona and in your confidence oh, you. and in your story. Like, I think you could help a lot of people like almost with a like motivational speaking tour. Yeah, thank you. That's that's the direction it's going. Yeah, and, and it's and just to tie it in with your book. Yeah, and so tell me more about the book and and where and when we can find it and what it's called. Um, I, I'm just releasing a, a part of the name. It's called okay. Five Pills. Five okay. Pills. Um, because 
I've, I've been on 20 medications since I was 15. Wow. It's taken me, it takes five pills to, to be me, um, to be this calm version of me. And I am, I've, I've done, I've tried every experimental treatment. I've seen neuropsychologists. I've done ketamine treatments, which is controversial. Um, I've done, uh, EMDR. I've done psychotherapy. I've done, you know, I've done the, I've been through the ringer in mental health. Um, so the book is, the book is a story about the challenges of mental health, substance abuse, racial trauma, you know, the opiate epidemic, a New York city story, um, sexual trauma, there's, and then recovery and this healed or healing healer story that I'm, cause I'm still in transformation myself. It's still, so, and I'm not particularly successful. I'm not like a huge anything, yeah. but I'm, I am a healing healer. Um, and it's that. the story of what that looks like. And, and I think what makes the story special, uh, and not, doesn't make me special. What makes the story special is that it can touch so many, whether you're questioning your sexuality and that's, that's a conversation that, that should be had for straight kids, straight men are questioning themselves too. And so I, I'm working with a guy right now who's in the closet at 47 years old, mm. you know? So, so th- this is, this is a huge topic. And then obviously men and sexual trauma is huge. We don't speak enough about it. And black men and mental health, these are just conversations that get to be had. Um, and I get, I, my life is so extreme that I, I, I just get to express it and share it with others. And there's such a humanity to it. I think that so many people can find. Um, and I just want to be of service. And I also, the biggest thing on a personal level, yeah, I want to take this book and throw it over my shoulder and let that story be over. That that's powerful, yeah. And to start the next chapter of your life, right? And, and to sort of be done with that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm 31 now. I've been. I'll have eight years in December. I'm a father. I'm a business owner. I do all this cool stuff. I'm, it's just I'm a different person. And yeah. and just identifying with the sicknesses in my life, um, as the, those stories, identifying with those stories, um, is going to keep me in that headspace and. It's just time. It's time to move on. And I, I set up on a podcast. Just we get wrapped, so wrapped up in these stories. Just let it be done. Yeah. Just let it be done. Let's move on. And this book is cathartic for me because it allows me to tell the story one more time, uh, and then move on. I'm sure I'll be doing some speaking, public speaking after right. the book, right. so the story won't be completely yeah. done. But <laughs> but you get the the, the it, that that would be a cool photo shoot to do for like a promo photo of you. Maybe tossing, tossing the, book the book over your shoulder. Or yeah. burning the book or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, just let it be done. Right. Let it be done. Let's talk about your personal recovery. What does your day-to-day look like? Do you meditate in the morning? Uh, yeah. When I had my spiritual experience, I, I went to spiritual like boot camp, you know? I was I, I was introduced to this God um, of my own understanding. And I had a very I've had like a very interesting story with it. Um so my my ex my ex partner my son's son's mother was a Christian not a dog not a very dogmatic Christian but she was Christian she practiced and she grew up in that faith practice I am not a Christian but she's this is my family so I would go to church with her and I started to have these like tangible spiritual experiences right and I understand the church harms and I was very vocal about it within the church I was like. The church hurts people. They were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa dude! Like yeah. we're doing our thing in here. Why are you talking about this?" I was <laughs> yeah. like, "Because because 
it's, why are we going to pretend it's not happening? You know, right. I mean, the church is hurting people, you know, and I knew so many closeted men and women in, in the church. And I would always, t- you know, speak to them better because I can tell, like, just be free, you know. Um, but I got to par- participate in that faith practice on a deep level and w- without identifying as a Christian at all. So it was like this, like this spiritual experience I had was like, well, I can now function with any spiritual practice at all. So now it, it, within that year, I went from going to church heavily and then meditating multiple times a day, started with five minutes. Then I, now I can meditate for an hour and a half. I can, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, I always say like my mind was trying to kill me for so many years. And now my mind is the place where I feel most safe. So I feel most safe and that's through meditation. And I don't pray very much. I don't, I listen. I do a lot of talking as a coach, as a podcaster, I do a lot of talking. Yeah. So I just need to shut the fuck up and listen a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. That's a good point. Like now that you mention it, I don't, I do more of a a meditative prayer. It's not even a prayer. I guess I don't do a lot of praying. I do more meditating and listening and receiving. Definitely. And Mm -hmm. With when I do find myself praying, it's more mantra esque, and mm. you know, and there's there's a prayer in twelve step, and I just say the same thing over and over again. Believe me, in the bondage of self. Yes, how profound that is. Yes. And I think we we throughout recovery we read over that and we just flip past it because it's part of this process. But really, the power in just saying, let me let me get out of my just get me out of the slavery of this this image of who I think I am, you know. Um, and let me break that every day. Let me get out of that. Cause I wake up in that space. I wake up thinking about what I need, what yeah. the fuck I need to do. And so yeah. it's like, just, you got to tell myself throughout the day. And at least in a break in the day, relieve me of this selfishness that I just wake up with. Get me outside myself. How do I become maximum service to the people around me? And sometimes I don't do a great job. Sometimes I am very selfish a lot of times, I'm, but I do the best that I can. But um, at least that that's just the extent of prayer that I get into is more in a mantra sense of like repeating that over and over and over again until I find myself in the trance-like meditative state, that, that sweet spot mm. that we all like to find right. if you meditate. Right, right. What's something that you've learned about yourself recently? Recently? Um, I'm a good man. I'm a good man. Yeah. I, 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 I um, live like a gentleman today. I don't gaslight women. I don't sleep around. Um, I respect women. Um, I I do honest. I want to do honest work. I want to be service of service to people. Um, I'm. I should not identify with the mistakes that I've made. They do not define me. Um, I I get to choose who I be every day, and I choose to be a free, intimate, and powerful leader today. That's who I choose every day. Um, and, and that's what I've learned, um, over the last, I've been doing a leadership program over the last five months. It's really been so like, I've, I finally wept in recovery. I didn't weep in sobriety, you know, it took me seven years to weep. And, uh, I finally wept and I just screamed at the top of my lungs. And I, um, I, uh, I danced for the first time in sobriety and, and, you know, um, just that's, I, I just learned that I'm a free man. I'm a free man. Yeah. I love that you mentioned it. There is a deep difference in sobriety and recovery. Is there not? 
just sober and not drinking yeah when or when yeah. you're actually recovering yeah i had four years i had four years of I, there was a suicide attempt in those four years mm. so stone cold sober yeah um and i'm very open about suicidality and being a suicide um, survivor um and i speak i speak very candidly about it you know because even a woman who has a very successful life was telling me she's like sometimes i don't want to live you know um and you would never expect this ceo this boss lady who has everything to say that um and you would like telling my story the more and more i open up about my story um over the years people would just tell me me too me too like sometimes i feel like i don't want to be here you know and and uh you know that with without actual recovery that's where my head goes without actual recovery i don't want to be here i don't even think about using anymore really that's not really like because i'd rather die than use you know um yeah. because because i know i know my using isn't just destructive to me i destroy other people's lives mm -hmm. that's the kind of addict i am i'm not like isolate and be by myself i'm like beat people up like be mean yes. to people it's very there's a very outward expression because i simply want to be heard it's unfiltered and un, untamed Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and I become a bad, you know, um, but anyway, um, yes, there's a difference between recovery and sobriety and recovery is daily action. Recovery is, I always say this, healing is a verb. Healing is an action word. Yes. And people say, you know, like there's, there's things to do in yes. recovery. There's work and to sobriety, put in. There's right? work to put in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And in sobriety, you can just hang out and not get loaded, but you don't, you're, are you getting better as a human being? And, and, uh, I actually find myself, I'm, I'm with, without substances in my body. I'm, I'm kind of worse because, cause it's not the, it, I'm doing all of it. It's not the drugs doing it. It's me. It's me like Absolutely. screwing people over. Absolutely. So without recovery, I'm just generally not that great of a, <laughs> great of a person. Yeah. You know? And it's like, we're not working on, what drew us to the drugs or alcohol in the first place, at least for me, the drugs and alcohol kind of fixed them for a while until I took yeah. it to the next level. So without, without that numbing with the drugs and alcohol and or working on those character opportunities, I, I'm a worse person just being sober without working on things. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I, I eventually, eventually you get loaded <laughs> right, right. I, I i got lucky but it was only by the grace of god that i didn't get loaded only by the grace of god and only by the grace of god that i survived that attempt at the time um so i i my story is very i'm very fortunate to have made it through that but um it made it so i love i have such a love for their whole entire recovery process and i don't i don't have i don't play small with my recovery i identify in that space as a recovered person always um i try not to go back to that it's it's like morning wake up work out you know work call people in recovery live with people in recovery spend all of my time with people in recovery i just have to live that life you know um it keeps me it just keeps me sane you know what do you hope that people take away from you by hearing you today on the podcast that it'll be okay it'll be okay and it's 
That's it. That's all, you know, so I, on a number of podcasts, people have asked me like, what would you tell yourself or, or what do you, what's your main message to people? Yeah. You're going to be okay. Don't do anything crazy. I always tell my, I tell sponsors, don't kill yourself. Don't get loaded and you'll be okay. Just don't do any of those two. Don't do those two things. Yeah. You're already okay. You just don't know you're, you don't know right. you're okay. Yeah. But you're already okay. So but true. like, then you'll, and then you'll realize you're okay. But so that's what I want people to know is that you're okay in your skin with whatever skin color. You're okay in your sexuality. You're okay in the family you're in. You're okay where you live. You're okay in wherever you are in your conscious space and time. You're okay right there. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And then that, and that is, and that is okay. I don't think we could end it on a more perfect note. Eric Rias, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. I will link all of Eric's information and where to find him online and all that good stuff in today's show notes. Let's keep in touch, my friend. Of course. You're going to do, you're going to do my podcast. I'm going to do your play. show. Let's, uh, let's figure out a time. Where can I sign yeah. up? <laughs> yeah, we're going to play. We're going to play. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay, cool. I so appreciate your time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. You're in Cali, right? So it's morning. I'm in time. San Diego. Yeah, yes. it's morning. Yeah. So go enjoy your day. All right, buddy. Hey, I'm glad we connected. Uh, and I look forward to next week. Likewise. All right. All see right. Ya. Take care, my friend. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Huge thank you to Eric for being so open and honest. What a great story. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye friends.